How has it taken us 39 episodes to get to Chris Kroger? I am Mike Pacheco, Dave Friedman alongside you listening to the Bearded Carcast, and we're going to be very happy to be joined by the new voice of the Charlotte Hornets, a longtime friend of mine, um, and somewhat of a, 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 I guess I'm his role model, I would suppose, but uh, Chris You're Kroger joining us here. I am. Whose role model are you not? I know. I don't know. It's, 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 I've spent a long time mentoring people, I, I guess. think the next episode's going to be with Kemba Walker, and he's <laughs> yeah. going to say the yeah. same sort of thing. Well, hey, actually, I did talk to Kemba Walker like two days after he was drafted. Did he then text yeah. you and say, Mike, I really appreciate you welcoming me to he the did. city. Well, he followed me on Twitter for, for a while, and then well, he dumped me. Huh. Did he really? <laughs> I think so. Wow. Yeah. Well, you're you're still my role model. Thank you're my you. number one follow on Twitter, Mike Thank Pajuko. you. Number one follow. So if you only had one follow, Mike would be it. <laughs> it's a sad life, right? It's a sad existence. <laughs> I'm very partial to Darren Gant, but I just yes, can't are. get enough Uranus jokes. No, no. Well, or weather jokes, right? Yeah, absolutely. All right, so we Is are the here. World ending. The world. Well, there's no storms this week, so huh. it's early yet. Right, right. So we'll. we'll yeah, it's early yet. It's only. Say Tuesday? Yeah, it's only Tuesday. It's opening day. Yeah, opening day coming up. Today is opening today day. Today is opening day. Yes. The only relevant NBA franchise begins their play today. We call it NBA Day in the league. NBA this, Day. This is league, how we yes. refer to it, NBA Day. So, big picture NBA. The Warriors, again, have the best team. They're 4-7 in they? Vegas to Do win they? the finals, meaning the projected options is 64% that the Warriors win it. They added Boogie Cousins to a team full of all-stars. Give us the pitch for why watching the regular season NBA matters. Okay, we're you know, let's shift to Mike Pacheco because he's going to start glowing for a second. Okay, you ready <laughs> for this? Because you say the Warriors are the best team in the NBA. I think they're the best collection of talent in the yeah. NBA, probably by a long stretch. I think the three titles in the last four years indicates they're the best team. They might be. But going into this year, I could make an argument that when it's all said and done, we could look back. I don't think I'd be shocked if we said the Boston Celtics were NBA champions and they were the best team in the NBA this year. Because as you all know, it's a, it's a team game. And I think this Boston team has the potential – we didn't get to see it last year because of Gordon Hayward five minutes into the yep. season. Kyrie didn't play. Kyrie, Kyrie missed a, a bulk of the last quarter of the season last year, and yet they kept they kept chugging. They kept moving on. They pushed to a seventh game in the Eastern Conference Finals. So I would not be shocked if we look back and say nobody was deeper, nobody was more balanced, nobody played better to their strengths coach. on offense and defense with better coaching than the Boston Celtics, and if you think about it, I, I think the East at the top, Philly, Toronto should be interesting. I, I think Indiana's got some potential again this year, but for them, I think it's building towards the playoffs and a championship. So you're right. I mean, I think Golden State's going to be there, but I, I think Boston says the Celtics at six to one, yeah. and the Warriors at four to seven. I like so Boston. You, you can take those projected pres- percentages and, and come up with now. The Warriors have been a national TV every game for four or five years, and people know them. So in, instead of four to seven, maybe they're even money. But but they legitimately five thirty eight analytics say they got a fifty percent chance of winning. Well, I know people say that the Warriors are bad for the NBA. Our ratings would say otherwise. They've gone up. <laughs> each of the last four years dynasties dynastic play in any sport is always great for sports because it sets a bar teams have to go chase it and eventually things are cyclical something will happen we don't know what it will be something will happen with this Warriors team maybe this year maybe five years from now that'll knock them down a few pegs and somebody else will be the team at the at the top of the trash heap so it's what to me it's what makes sports great and the NBA more than any other league has been one that's thrived and has been built off power at the top and dynastic play. And, and it was the Celtics in the 60s and the 70s. It was the Lakers in the 80s. It was the Bulls in the 90s. It was the Lakers again kind of in the 2000s. 
with LeBron and wherever he's been in there along the way, too. And now I think it's the Warriors' run. So this is what the NBA is all about. It's great for our league. One of the big things that moved the Warriors forward that doesn't get talked about, the the Durant signing and the drafting of Curry and all that, is when they changed from Mark Jackson to Steve Kerr. The Hornets here, you work for the Hornets here, the voice of the Hornets, have gone through a change at the head coaching position. I think people want to talk about whether Kemba's going to re-sign, what the plan and the future is, the draft picks, but how big is the change at the top? It's funny you say that because I think if you go back and and you look at why Golden State maybe felt like they were getting held back talent-wise— was Mark Jackson was just a little too strict. Mm. They felt a little constricted. He was too strict. He was too stringent. Those guys wanted to be free. They're younger players. It's a different generation. You have seems to, to have worked out. It does seem to have worked out. Yeah, and different I, game, different rules. Now. Yeah, and I, I, I look at Coach Clifford, and I, I have the utmost respect for Cliff. I think he was, he was the guy that took us from being a team that nobody respected to one that everybody respected in the NBA because you knew they were going to compete. You knew they were going to show up every night. You knew they were well-coached, that they were disciplined for the most part. But five years is a long time in the NBA and 36 wins each of the last two years. And I think James Brago comes in here, maybe not unlike Steve Kerr, another Spurs guy under Popovich, (laughs) who understands, hey, I've got to coach you guys, but I've got to let my hands free a little bit sometimes too. And practices now are high energy as a young coaching staff. We're playing music during practice, yeah. which is something that it's most like teams don't do. Yeah, no, it yeah. does. What it has, music do you play? There's mostly hip-hop. You know, Cody Zeller will sneak in a country song every now and then because <laughs> he's a big country guy. But, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting because it's, it's clearly a shift in philosophy of, hey, the talent maybe isn't the issue here as much as it's approach, right? And I think James Borrego is going to be an interesting guy because I think he's very sharp. I think he's he's got great ideas. And he's I think he's empowered this locker room to kind of take ownership and let them do what they need to do. I think a couple of interesting things, uh, personnel-wise. Obviously, Tony Parker was a big, uh, you know, a big move. But then uh, a former first-round pick, Bismack Biombo, comes yeah. back into the Biz, fold. Maybe yeah. a little bit better than when he left. Yeah. What people forget is Biz was selected higher than Kemba. Biz yeah. was the seventh overall selection. Kemba went ninth. Um, and yeah, Biz is beloved here because. He's just the ultimate pro, and the thing I love about Biz is, as he's now in year number eight of his career, yeah. just like Kemba, he's become this global ambassador for the game of basketball. He's become a steward of the game of basketball, much the way that Dikembe Mutombo and Hakeem Olajuwon have been, and he grew up watching those guys and seeing what their work did, where he's from in Africa. He's from he's from the DRC, from, from the Congo, and now he is he, everything he's made on the court, he takes that and pours that back into, into his homeland, and so... I don't know how much he'll be on the court this year, but just from a personality standpoint, a leadership standpoint, it's great to have him. Same thing with Tony Parker. You know, I think Tony in an ideal world play 15 minutes a game or yeah. so for us, but you know, he's probably going to rack up four to six assists. He'll hit a couple field goals. He'll be keeping everybody in line, in tune with what they need to do. And he's the vocal leader I think this locker room has lacked. Right. And look, six-time All-Star, four-time NBA champion, finals MVP. I mean, you listen. When he yeah. speaks, you just listen to a guy like that. In a league that has turned to the trust the process model, the tear it down to build it up, what is the plan with the Hornets, with the new coach and the new GM? You know, it's funny. You, I was sitting, Dave, in Mitch Kupchak's presser the other day because we, we had our kind of state of the union yeah. going into the season. And Mitch was asked about, you know, the salary cap and, you know, where, where this team is at. And we're over the cap, but we're under the luxury tax line. And Mitch said, the reality of the situation is, if you have good players, you're, you're over the salary cap. Right. And I think we've, for some odd, like everybody loves to play GM anymore. 
And we've forgotten that. Everybody talks about flexibility. Yeah, you want flexibility. You want to have contracts that you think you could trade if you needed to. You don't want to ever feel like you're stuck with a player. That's different. But ultimately, good teams spend a lot of money because you have good players. And that's the way this thing works. And somewhere along the way, like that dynamic, I think, has been lost among some media types, fans in the NBA. Because to your point, fans see what Philly did and you say, oh, I want that. Well, go look at all the other teams that have tried that. Phoenix, who just fired their GM a week before the season. Sacramento has been in a tailspin, it seems like, for a decade. Orlando, much the same way. Uh, Brooklyn is a team that has been trying finally now to come out from underneath it. New York has been a team that's spent a bunch of money, gotten big free agents, hasn't done anything with it. So there are teams, Chicago now. Chicago's got good young pieces. Can they take the next step? It's hard to do. So I, I always look at all the other teams. Everybody points out the one that works. How about the seven, eight, nine, ten other teams that have been doing this for five to ten years where they've been spinning their tires? So I think you build around Kemba, and I think the Hornets have been trying to do that. Miles Bridges, I think, is going to be I think he's going to be a really good player. And I think the Hornets got a really good player at 12 overall, and I think he's got a bright future. And even Devontae Graham, you got Devontae yeah. 34th overall. He's from Raleigh, played four years at Kansas, consensus All-American, Big 12 player of the year. He's got a maturity about him. I don't know if Devontae is going to be a starter in this league, but you know what? You don't always need starters. If you tell me with the 34th pick you got a rotational player for the next five-plus years, that's a win for me. So I think that's the plan is let's just be smarter and more judicious with the moves we're making. I think Mitch is, is putting us in that direction. One of the exciting things for this year, for people that have maybe grown up in Charlotte like you have, Chris, or maybe been here for, for a long time, is uh, this is the 30th anniversary of the team. Hard, almost hard to believe yeah. that it's been 30 years, but there's so much great stuff going on right now. And I know we got a sneak peek at the, the court. Don't tell anybody. Oh, okay. No, no, you don't. It's okay. <laughs> you got a sneak peek. Yeah, we got a sneak peek. So you got to be here for opening night. By the time this gets out, people could still get some last minute tickets. So be here for opening night. Um, and then we've got seven other classic nights yeah. where we're going to wear the white pinstripe jerseys. We've not worn those yet. Last year was the teal. And it's funny, the teal ones came out last year, I thought, oh, they look so good. And then I saw the white ones, I thought, you know what? I'm not sure about white. Like, it looks really classic, yeah. but it doesn't pop to me. And then I saw them in person on the players. The white, in my opinion, the white uniforms look better than the teal really? uniforms. So they're so classic. Yeah. They're timeless. And that classic court, which was down from 95 to 97, uh, it, it is just going to pull this whole thing together. I don't know if you remember Utah last year. They wore their city uniforms, and it was this sunscape, orange-yellow, yeah. transitional. You know, it looked like the, the painting of a desert and the, and the mountain range with the sun setting. Beautiful, right? And then in their arena, they put a floor down that looked pretty similar. And when you got in their arena and they wore those uniforms and they had that floor down, it was this immersive experience, I think, that it was really cool. Nobody had yeah. done that before. We're going to do that on our classic night. So you'll see the classic uniforms. You'll have the court down, and it won't quite be exactly the same as the Coliseum because that place was so cavernous, but I think it'll probably feel pretty similar. And there's a lot of other festivities going on this year. I mean, there's a lot of guys coming back and a lot of Steve Martin's got a bobblehead. Yeah. It looks just like him. (laughs) Which is rare. He's at a desk. How cool is this? You press the button, and Steve's going to have his famous call, unfortunately, against your Celtics in the 93 playoffs. By the way, trivia fact. You ready for this? Yeah. You probably already know this. The last the, the man, Hall of Famer that played his last game of his career in that in that playoff series against the against the Hornets. It's probably Larry Bird. Wasn't Larry? McHale? Kevin McHale. Yeah. Who also triggered the inbounds pass and a heck of a pass to D. Brown that just yeah. didn't go. And he he at that time, if you remember that play, Steve called Steve and Gill called this beautifully. Before, yeah. if you go back and watch the footage, you can find it on YouTube. 
Gill coming into the timeout yeah. said, hey, block this shot. If it's over the rim, block it. Yeah. It's not goaltending. Because what they're going to try to do with whatever it was, 0.2, 0.3 seconds left, is throw the ball directly over the cylinder and just pass it in. Yeah. Just tap it in. But you can't shoot from out of bounds. It's a pass. So if it's not a shot, can't be goaltending, can't be goaltending yeah. right? And Gill called it to perfection before the play. Guess what happened? Hornets get a stop and walk-off win, and that's the end of Kevin McHale's career. This is our Bearded Carcast. We're joined by Chris Kroger, the voice of the Hornets. I'm Dave Friedman with Mike Pacheco. You can follow us on social media. You can listen on SoundCloud and on iTunes. We appreciate you joining us. You can send us an email, beardedcarcast at outlook.com. You worked in local media for a long time, hosting a talk show on the Sports Talk station here. Where do the Hornets fit in kind of this Panther-centric, football-crazed area? I, th- I, I will go down to my grave believing this. I think this is a basketball city. I think this is a basketball state. And I think it's a sleeping giant of energy, of passion, of fan engagement that, for obvious reasons, when the team left in 2002, uh, I think there were a lot of bad feelings that were going on with the city and with the old organization. And then, you know, Bob Johnson came in and, you know, did he do everything right? Probably not. Um, I think he tried to fix some things, and mm-hmm. I think he did. By the, by the time he sold the team to Michael Jordan, I think Michael has done an incredible job of building relationships in the city, in this community, giving back to this community. Um, and I think the team over the last few years has been trying to move towards being more competitive consistently. And so I don't think we've gotten to see this Hornets organization look like the old one yet, which is being stable, top to bottom, producing a winner every year. And I think if we do that, there's Dave, in my opinion, there's no reason to think that the fan excitement and passion that this city has for the Panthers, who, who are a consistent yeah. winner, right? If we do what the Panthers do, I think this is a sports town that would come back online and back on fire for the NBA and basketball again because it's just it's in our blood in yeah. this state. This well, is a this basketball town, this state. This town is like the it's like you just need the match to be struck because the the foundation has been set from a business standpoint. I mean, yeah. I bring John to games and we have a great time. Uh, I think people just want to see this team win and if if the Hornets were able to get 2 3 4 years consistency of winning, this town would go crazy. Is that but, it? It's just winning. I think it is and like as an organization I could say this, it's something we talk about daily. We're aware of what we need to do and it we're striving for it every day and I think I cannot tell you the organizational structure and leadership that Mitch Kupchak has put in place in just six months on the job. And you walk in this building, there's an energy in here. And there's a confidence, too, that, man, you look at his resume, his bona fides, they speak for themselves. The guy's been a GM in the NBA for almost 30 years. He's won multiple championships. He was the first person in NBA history to win a championship as a player, coach, and executive. Mitch Kupchak. And that's the guy that's here. And his institutional knowledge of how we need to be structured, who reports to who, how we do things. He he loves going on the road and scouting still. He rolls up yeah. his sleeves and still handwrites his own scouting reports. And I think Mitch knows that. If it, uh, Truthfully, he said this the other day, and I think it was with The Athletic. It was a great story he did with Jody Valade where he said – Roy Williams actually recruited him to come back here because he, he had a year off after he got yeah. let go from the Lakers. 
and he was going around watching his son play at UC Santa Barbara. Son's a senior there for the Gauchos. Uh, he was watching NBA basketball, college basketball, and he'd go back to Chapel Hill a few times, former ACC Player of the Year. And Roy was spending a lot of time with him, and then when Michael interviewed him and he started to go through the process, it was Roy who came in to cl- kind of close the deal and was really? saying, hey, come back home. The state needs you. We need you. The city needs yeah. you. Michael needs you. And, you know, I know a lot of people take issue with Michael Jordan and the Carolina Connections. Quite honestly, that's ignorance because I think if you know anything about Carolina basketball and the history of Carolina basketball and who Dean Smith is as a person yeah. and why he has, he has structured his program that way, this is family. And that's what, that's what life is about is building lifelong connections, staying loyal to people, and rewarding that loyalty. And that's life, right? Like you guys are – you work together, but you're also great friends. So why would you not want to do that together, right? Like you do this podcast together because if we weren't friends, there's no way. We'd yeah, you know, use. there's <laughs> no way for the massive amounts of cash. <laughs> it was, well, oh, yeah, that's it. It's Beyond for the, the cash, it's for the, the dough, and the free food, and the groupies that are waiting outside right. this door. That's right. Uh, but no, you guys get along with each other. You also share a love of the craft that you have, and so it makes it fulfilling, right? Yeah. And so that's the thing. Well, that we always... make it. We should be pushing each other a little bit. Like we make yeah. each other better. And I think you have to have that respect too. And I think that's the other thing is if you're Michael, you're not bowing down at the altar of Mitch Kupchak. And if you're Mitch, you're not either. Guess what? I've worked for Jerry West. I I right. drafted. I was here when we drafted Kobe Bryant. I traded for Shaq, and I traded Shaq away. So I've made bold moves. I know what it takes to win. Um, and so yeah, I think that's the other interesting part is we're aware. And I think Mitch, you know, I really have the utmost confidence he's going to turn the Hornets. Bob Bass did a great job as a GM yeah. who just passed away this summer. Bob Bass was the best GM in Hornets history. He was voted executive of the year one year. I think Mitch Kupchak can be that type of front office executive for us. It seems that he's going to have an enormous project and decision over the next however many months. And you talk about winning will get the community excited and it's not a teardown and rebuild. Well, Kemba Walker, if it's not a teardown and rebuild, has to be a centerpiece or a huge piece of that. But if Kemba Walker is a maxed out guy... Where does that put you versus how do you make sure you keep him here? And that's the challenge, and I think that's why drafting well is such a big part of this, right? Because you look at the team like, I'll give you an example of Utah. They lost Gordon Hayward in free agency. They thought they were going to have to go through a massive rebuild. What happened? Well, they got Donovan Mitchell at the you know late end of the lottery. Yeah. And Donovan Mitchell now looks to be a young, transcendent star in the NBA. So is that easy to do? No, it's not. But I feel confident Miles Bridges has that type of potential to him, that he could be a a guy who's a starter for you in a few years. Um, I think he's a guy that has all-star potential. He's got those – you know, uh, I'll put it this way. Mitch used the, the term he sprinkled with that special gold dust. Yeah. And you see it with him. He's got a different ability to him that is just God-given. Not everybody has that. So that's going to be the big piece, drafting well – making smart moves in, pre- in free agency, prudent moves with your exceptions, your biannual exception, your mid-level exception, and player development, which is what we're doing right now. You go into our practices, our staff is twice as large as it was a year ago. And so there are coaches who, whose sole jobs are making our pro players who have been in our system even better. Yeah. And that's where you see the growth. But we're committed to Kemba, and Kemba's committed to us. You know, I just did a podcast with him yeah. on my podcast this past week, and – I literally sat as close as we are right now and looked in his eyes, in the conviction in his eyes when he talks about his love for Charlotte, why he wants to be here. I thought this was so funny. He said to me, you know, people say, I only want to be here because the Hornets can offer me more money. Mm. said, no, it's not true. 
they don't know. And he said, people say that you can't win here. He said, how do they know? They can't see the future. And when you hear him, I mean, it gives you goosebumps as a fan because you think you are, that is, he lives that existence every day in every way of, I'm small, but I'm a giant. You may say, I can't do something. I will do it. He told me one NBA GM told him to his face before the draft, who picked ahead of the Bobcats at that time, nobody's going to want to play with you. Really? Could you imagine wow. sitting in a, in, a, in a draft room or wherever you're at yeah. in a team's building after a practice? I don't think anybody's going to want to play yeah. with you. And if you're Kemba, he told me this. This is what I find fascinating. He said, this team could have gave up on me. They didn't. He was shooting 30% from yeah. three three years ago. And now he's become one of the most lethal three-point shooters at his position in the NBA. He said, this team could have gave up on me when I was doing that. They didn't. Yeah. So why should I give up on them? And I think that's what's been lost nationally is that that story, which is this city, this fan base, this organization has been committed to Kemba, and he's every bit as committed back. Now it's about what do you do to build around him? Because I think that's mm-hmm. your point, Dave. That's the next step is you just got to put the pieces around him. And I think it's interesting, Chris, because you know the, the st- you know if you consider Kemba the star player for the Hornets and Cam Newton the star player for the Panthers, I mean they've had kind of very different yeah. experiences here in Charlotte. Both have been very successful, and maybe for Kemba, just going back to the needing to win part. But what what is Kemba's legacy? And I don't know if it's fair to compare it up with Cam, but it, it's kind of like two different you know apples and oranges. But they are both each other's like. Star player. Well, should we talk top ten Hornets of all time for we Hornets' thirtieth yeah. anniversary? Yeah, I think Kemba has climbed to number one. And the reason I say this, and I don't say this any any bit lightly, because I grew up here. I grew up watching all the other great Hornets. Steve Martin told me that last year. I remember when Kemba broke the all time scoring record when he broke Dell's three points shooting record as well. I asked Steve because Steve is the ultimate authority, you know, authority sure. on Hornets basketball. I said, Steve, where's where's Kemba rank? He said, I think he's number one. So I think he's finally done it. Wow. And to go from seven wins to 48 wins right. just a few years later, to break all the scoring totals, to do it with the efficiency that he's doing it with now, um, and at his size. And when it's all said and done, he'll, he'll likely be number one on the all-time games played list in team history. He'll probably be number one in minutes played as well. Uh, field goals made, three-pointers made, three-point percentage probably for a career. He'll be top five, which is crazy when you think of the volume. Uh, free throws made, he's already uh, up there. Um, he might not get to assists. I think Muggsy's going to have that record f- probably forever. Yeah. Um, but he should pass Muggsy in steals. He's on record. He's on pace to break uh, Muggsy's steals record. So you think about all that wins, too, all of the things that Kemba will be statistically, and then you think of the heart, where he came from, how he's done it, what he represents. I think that makes him number one. Do you have an argument? Does somebody want to no, counter? I'm, do you have an argument? The floor I, I is just, yours. I just can't believe, and uh, you're a historian of Charlotte sports, and I, I didn't grow up here, and of the Hornets since you work here. I just, you think of Kemba Walker being the best player in franchise history, and then we turn to Mike, and we think of the Celtics and his yeah. favorite team, and you think of all of those Hall of Famers and all of those championships, but I suppose none of the... Yeah, but there's only been one Charlotte Hornet to ever start the NBA All-Star game. That's what I yeah, recently heard. we learned heard. this, didn't we? Yeah, we did, Chris. Well, think about this to that point. All right? Well, tell the audience who. Eddie Jones. Eddie Jones, yeah. I, that's a great trip. And he was only here for, what, a year and a half? Uh, right? Yeah, two years? yeah, it was about two years. He was traded, I think, in 88, 89... I mean, 98, 99, yeah, yeah. and then the and, next and, year he was... And that's kind of, to me, the whole story of Hornets basketball, which is there were always these eras, right? Okay, so the early expansion era, those guys did yeoman's work just trying to get that thing off the ground. Right. And then they turned it over to LJ, Muggsy, Dell, Zoe, 
And, I mean, those are the names you think of. And they weren't here right. that long, though. And so that's right. the. That's but the, does Kemba become like Yaz? Like, I mean, Yaz was really good, but Yaz, part of the reason why Yaz was, was such a great beloved player in Boston was because he was here for such a long time. Well, think about Della Muggsy, right? Muggsy was one of the better point guards in the NBA, NBA during his time, but he was never what you would consider an elite right. point guard. Right. He wasn't of the ilk of Mark Price. Or Isaiah Thomas. Right. Uh, he was Plus a lot of guys that started here left here. Yes. Like Larry Johnson and so Alonzo Muggsy Morning. and Dell are, are one and two on the all-time games played list. So that's why we consider them sure. great. And Dell was a really great shooter yeah, great too. Shooter. Six Man of the Year. Yeah. Uh, one of two Hornets to ever win that award. But I think when you look at 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 what they did for their career, the staying power made them great. And I think Kemba's that, but also with some star power too. So Kemba's kind of a mix of LJ, Muggsy, Zoe, Dell. Alonzo, all rolled into one. Glenn Rice, he's 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 the embodiment, I feel, of like every Hornet that's ever played here, all wrapped into one. Gerald Wallace, too. So yeah. you, you want to, should we go top 10? Go to top 10. Okay. This is in no specific order, by the way. Yeah. And some of these are non-negotiables. LJ and Zoe, yep. absolutely all-time Hornets. Del Muggsy, absolutely all-time Hornets. Glenn Rice, absolutely all-time Hornet. He, he led this team to the three highest win totals in team history. Three straight years, uh, this team uh, was an absolute force. He was an all-star game MVP. He was an all-star all three years he was here. So Glenn Rice is another. To me, two Bobcats are on this list. Gerald Wallace and Emeka Okafor. Yep. Gerald is top five in every major statistical category in Hornets, Bobcats history. Emeka is the all-time leading rebounder in team history. He was a double-double machine. He wasn't quite Dwight Howard, but he won Rookie of the Year. He was, he was one of the better young centers in the NBA. So those guys are on the list. Kemba, we have now said, is on the list as well. And so now let's do the math on that. We're talking LJ, so I got eight. Yep. And now I think you start getting to a guy that I, I would say – Anthony Mason's on the list too to me. Yep. All-time triple-doubles leader. He, was the, he, he would be so fun in today's NBA because he could oh, do yeah. it all. Step out. He was a monster down yeah. low too. So that leaves And he had a little spot. bit of that like – that you need. He did, yeah. He yeah. had the fire. Yeah. My last guy, and I think this guy gets forgotten in Hornets history, and I'll tell you why he's on my list, David Wesley. Yeah. David could shoot the, the heck out of the ball, and he was the connector to those two eras, the most successful yeah. eras in Hornets basketball. So the Hornets hardball era, which was Glenn, Mason, Dell, and himself, mm-hmm. and, and, and a gone too soon, Bobby Phils as well, and then that next era, which was Baron Davis, Jamal Mashburn, Jamal uh, Jamal McGlure, yeah. Eldon Campbell, P.J. Brown. That was a a great mix of veteran players, but young players as well. And yeah. David Wesley kind of connected those two groups. So Wesley sneaks in. He's probably my 10th guy. So what does that list tell us about the franchise? I mean, this is not a franchise that has won NBA titles, obviously. I think someone on the outside looking in, someone that doesn't live in Charlotte, is going to go, that's the ten, but it's not that old a franchise no, 30 either. Years. Yeah. What, what what can we take out of that? And based on Kemba being number one or darn close to it, what does it mean for the franchise in terms of if they can't re-sign him, if he doesn't come back, what does that do to this place? Yeah, I think I don't know. I think it's interesting. I, I think the one thing that the city has always had was a star player in every era. And so I, I always think there is a an opportunity there of, okay, you could be a star here, and how long you stay here, okay, that's up to you, whatever happens. But you can come here, you can be a star, you can be beloved, because I think all those players are beloved, right? They're revered, actually. Certainly. LJ, Zoe, they're revered. Muggsy, Dell, more staying power, but they're revered. Glenn Rice, Anthony Mason, they're revered. Baron Davis, actually, 
And Baron I, Davis was great. So good. But his best years were in New Orleans and then never really got healthy in L.A. But the best Baron Davis was actually outside of Charlotte. We just saw him scratching the surface right, right. when he was here as a rookie. So, yeah, it's a, it's a tough question. But I think, you know, our legacy is we've got a lot of guys that have come through here, here through the years. Even Rex Chapman, you know, I think Rex gets forgotten our first college draft pick yep. in 88. Rex had a pretty good career. And he was a dunk, cha- uh, dunk contest uh, player. Um, he could he could jump out of the gym. You used to put him on a lot of the best offensive players on the other team. He used to defend those guys. He could shoot pretty well. So, yeah, there were always eras of Hornets basketball. And I think that's my, my memory as a Hornets fan is we never had these lulls where, man, our team really stinks. No, we were always good. We won 42 to 50 games, right. and we always had one, two, three players that – you knew you show up. You showed up every night. They were going to compete, and they were going to be fun to watch. And even when I moved here in '98, they were still, I mean, they were still very popular, and still I think had the attendance record going. Yep. Even back then, I'm glad you said David Wesley because when I moved here, I got to know him a little bit. Um, but he was such a fun player to watch, and he was such a good leader. I mean, mm-hmm. everything you said, I agree with. And I'm glad you put it because he he would have been on he and PJ Brown. I would have if you take Bobcats here out, I would have put PJ Brown and Dave Wesley in. And then the same oh, eight guys that you had. You, I think you get to like 10 to 15, and it starts to get really hard, right? Like some people say. I think P.J. Brown was such an underrated player while he was here. I agree. I think that era of Hornets basketball. Well, um, there was that cloud of them leaving, too. Like, And I think that's what hurts that group. And people forget uh, that, that team in, in 2001, 2002, which was the last season, uh, lost in the Eastern Conference semis. Um, no, excuse me. It was the year before, 2000, 2001. I was at game six. We were up 3-2 in the series. Very familiar to what happened here a few years ago against <laughs> Miami. We were up 3-2. I remember being in the upper deck of the Coliseum with my brother. And we we had the lead, I think, at halftime, even late into the fourth. And we lost, lost the lead, went to overtime. We lost to the Bucks. It was a good Bucks team. Uh, Sam Cassell, uh, that was uh, Glenn Robinson. Um, that, was, that was a good, good Bucks team. They lost in seven in the Eastern Conference Finals to New Jersey that year, who then lost to the, to the Lakers in the championship. Uh, but the next day, uh, or excuse me, they went back for a Sunday, Game 7 in mm-hmm. Milwaukee. I knew leaving the building that night we lost the series. I thought there's no way yeah. we're winning this. We blew it. We did. But that next day, I believe there was the referendum vote on the new arena. And a lot of people to this day anecdotally claim, you know, if we win that game, that's a yes vote. Because we're going to the Eastern Conference Finals for the first time. <laughs> and the power of sports, what, what that can do. Who knows? We'll never know, right? That's one of the great unsolved mysteries and things we'll never know of what would have happened. But, yeah, what would have happened if we won Game 6? Would you have had the uh, the fan support? Because to, to your point, everybody loved the yeah. team back then that maybe it would have swayed and said, you know what, yeah, let's give them a new arena. Let's, let's, let's see what happens here. It's our Beard Podcast with Chris Kroger, voice of the Hornets, Dave Friedman and Mike Pacheco, along with you. You can hear it when you talk that you ooze Charlotte. You've been in this community. You know the history of these teams and the franchises. What is your background in terms of you talk about going to games as a kid? When did you know this is what you wanted to do? Okay, dirty little secret here. Can I? I'm going to crack the mythology. Crack it. I'm going to crack it. Do we have sound effects? Wait for it. Now we don't have sound effects. Uh, I, I didn't ever know, actually. And what's funny is I think I've always been – I'm always a passionate guy. Like Mike's known me for a long time. Yeah. I just throw myself into things. And it's, my, it's probably my best you know, strength 
and my biggest weakness sometimes too because that, that can get you into trouble. Um, but I always worked really hard. But when I was in college, I thought coming out of high school, I wanted to be a music major. And I went to East Carolina because my music teacher in high school, who was just one of the best in the country, quite literally, said, you need to go here. It's a great music school, one of the best around. Um, and I know their music director. You should do that. So I went and I joined a men's choir and it was fun. Um, now, were you, were you going to sing? Or were yeah, you, were you I, gonna do I didn't know. I didn't Did know. I thought, about, yeah, I thought about singing. Um, okay. Now, what's I, your instrument? Uh, my voice. Yeah, okay. I'm a baritone. <laughs> oh, yeah. The golden pipes. No, I'm a decent singer and I yeah. enjoyed men's choir. Can you choir. sing a few bars for us? A cappella off the cuff. <laughs> you put me on the spot here. Uh, so we used to we used to do men's choir. We'll think about it. We'll think about it. So we, I sang my senior year and uh, our final semester. I sang in men's choir and I loved it. I thought, you know what? Maybe I'll try this in college. Yeah. So I went there, joined the choir, loved it. Then I took music theory classes, and I didn't love it. And it really felt like work. It didn't come easy to me. And I thought, this isn't what I want to do. So I came back home first semester, took some classes at UNC Charlotte just some general education classes to kind of keep, you know, keep moving along. And my girlfriend at the time was at Appalachian State. And, you know, you do anything for your for your love. So I went up there and I just remember walking, I think, through the student union and there was a flyer posted for uh, the radio yeah. station up there, student radio. I thought, eh, what the heck? I'll, I'll go. I'll go see what this is about. And I sat in the information class that night and I thought, yeah, this really sounds interesting. And then you know, I, I took the class. You had to take a class. I think it was one one night a week the entire semester. You didn't get school credit for it. It was just something you had to do to be able to go yeah. on air. And I did it, uh, passed it, and then I I fell so much in love with it, I became a broadcasting major. And really, I treated the radio station much more like class than I did my actual classes. Um, my grades were not that great. But I did what I had to do to get by. I was more interested in just being at the radio station all the sure. time. And we had a great mentor there uh, who is one of the most well-connected guys in the industry, Dan Valley, uh, Dan Valley Hill. And he still runs the, the operation up there. And he just, man, you would have thought he shot me full of adrenaline every day. He just poured into us so much confidence yeah. and love and empowerment of radio can be your life. This can be your job. If you really like it, you're really good at it, you can do this for a career. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to do that. So we called games, you know, student student radio, app football and basketball. They were terrible games. Um, we sounded terrible. Our football team was good. Our <laughs> basketball team was not for the most part outside of a few years. And when I got out, you know, I got involved with uh, Bryce Johnson, who I've mm -hmm. gone to school with up there. He was buying time on a radio station, a religious station, doing a sports talk show. One thing led to another. We got plugged in on another station in town doing sports talk. Yeah. Got involved with Pacheco at that at, point. Yeah, yeah. And then Pacheco put me in touch with the guys that, at that time, it was ISP Sports. Yep, yep. And Cheeks was like, hey, you can go make some extra money up here. Yeah. There's a good good side gig. It's in Winston-Salem. It's a short drive. My wife now, still girlfriend at the time, yeah. was working she up was in working Winston. There, yeah. So it started to work out, right? Yeah. Life's starting to set in motion. And I was doing UCLA basketball on weeknights, two or three nights a week. I get off the air at 1, 1 in the morning go crash on her couch, get up at 4 in the morning, drive back to Charlotte, produce the morning show, produce the afternoon show. We'd go to practice and yep. stuff. And I probably did that for, what, 10 months, yeah. I'd say? And then they called me out of the blue one day and said, we're looking for a full-time producer. Would you want to do this? And I really did not. I think you remember talking. Yeah, we know. We talked a lot about that. Yeah. And, and you were very adamant that 
you need to do this. It's yes. a good opportunity. Maybe you don't want to do it, but I think you should do this. Stable. It was stable, and it was more money than the other place was Yeah. Paying. I mean, I was making nothing. But I didn't care. I was living at home. Yeah. I, I was doing what I wanted to do, which was be in Charlotte working in radio. And, you know, they offered me the job. And I remember calling Bill Rosinski, who we were working with, yeah. original voice of the Panthers. And Bill said, well, what would you say when they offered you a job? I said, I have to think about it. And Bill lost his mind. He's like, are you crazy? <laughs> what do you mean you told him you have to think about it? I said, well, Bill, I don't want to, you know me, I don't want to leave. He's like, well, did they offer you benefits? I said, yeah. He said, you call them right now and tell them you're taking that job. <laughs> and so I did. I called takes, them right I back. said, no. Yeah. I think I think about it. Bill Rosinski says, well, no. Bill says it was such I know. He's got so much resonance. Yeah. Yeah. He's got the gravitas. He does, definitely does. So, yeah. I, that, and that's where it kind of all started. We did, we produced live play-by-play yeah. broadcasts for shoot literally thousands of hours a year for for me i did all of our pac-12 schools plus texas and gonzaga but you also had the opportunity to fill in and do play-by-play i did and that's where it kind of started but you know again what's funny is when i was doing that you know there are all these guys up there that wanted to be the next mike Tarico. they wanted to be the next bob costas they wanted to be well you, and, and at there at that point it was the next Corey provost and the yes. next carter blackburn yeah and so those were some of the guys that had rolled through up there and you know it's just it's amazing to me who the alumni of what we've produced up there. It's now IMG College, but yep. it was ISP Sports at that time. And, you know, my boss at the time, Matt Chazanow, is now the voice of Washington State. Uh, my coworker, Tony Castricone, is now the voice of Washington. He just replaced Bob Rondo. Um, my coworker, Adam Witten, is now the voice of App State. Uh, my coworker, David Shoemate, is now the voice of the Blue, Duke Blue Devils. So, I mean, it's crazy when yeah. you look around. And, and now you're the voice of the Hornets. Yeah. I'm the only one that actually went to the pros. They all loved college sports more than I did. So, But that's the point is, like, I was there and I thought, I like this, but I don't love college sports. And I don't love play-by-play necessarily to the extent that it, I'm dead set on doing it. So when I got to come back here. Right. So then something big happens. They have a big shakeup at WFNZ. Yep. And then you send a tape into DJ Stout. Out of nowhere. Yeah. Because yeah. I grew up listening to FNZ. I love that Mike is telling your history. Like, <laughs> he I knows it better like, than me. I can't wait until he talks about like his relationship and meeting your wife yeah. and all of that stuff. Wait till we get thing. to you. Yeah. <laughs> he knows it better than me. No, so he's right. So uh, FNZ had an afternoon slot opening. Um, same thing. I was 27 at the time. Super young. Top 25 mar- market afternoon drive show i grew up listening to packer used to call into a show when i was in college doing a couple of segments for him and i just sent my air check out and i said dj you don't know who i am but i know you and i know this station and i know charlotte and i'm telling you i could do a great job just give me a chance and i never expected a response back but within like 30 minutes he sent an email back saying call me i thought that okay that's good so so in that 30 minutes did you call mike yeah no (laughs) i don't know what i did we talked we did talk i think i think I, I think I did talk to you before you talked to him. I think yeah. you did call me. Yeah, yeah, you know, I did because I was like, yeah. "Hey, what?" Because right. you knew because I well. knew. Yeah, I worked with DJ. Yeah, yeah. So I was saying, "Hey, what?" You know, yeah. Give me a little scouting report. So you know, essentially, again, right place, right time. That's the way life works. I always say this. People say it's better to be lucky than good. I always, I always say it's better to be lucky and, and good. Yeah. Right. So you, it's it's you, you need know, the end. Well, what do they yeah. say about uh, luck? Luck is the intersection of perspiration and preparation, right? Something like that. I so thought it was the residue of design. That too. Whatever it is, right? So I got lucky to be good, but also have this opportunity present itself. And so what the luck of the matter was this. It was a holiday weekend. I think it was Labor Day. Um, no, Memorial Day. And DJ said, hey, I need a fill-in host. Can you do Friday? I thought, yeah, I can do Friday. I just got to check with my bosses to make yeah. sure they're okay with it. And they were great. You know, they, all, all along, they always wanted me to do whatever I could do. 
So if I came to them and said, hey, this is something I'm interested in, they'd say, well, we'll make it happen for you. Yeah. Well, it's good for them because then they can say, well, we got guys in the NBA, exactly. we got guys in the MLB. And, not, they, you know. and they understood that, and so I appreciate that. But not every, I mean, as you no, guys not know, every place is like not that. everybody right. values yeah. that. So, you know, I prepared like crazy for that show. It was a five-hour show at that time, two to seven. And then he called me back like the day before, and he said, or later that Wednesday night, and he said, can you do tomorrow? I said, DJ, that's really thoughtful of you, but I said, I don't want to be disrespectful, but I don't think I would do a good job if I just showed up tomorrow, and I want to do a good job. And so, you know, he said, that's fine. I'll see you Friday. So I did Friday, went by in a snap, and Steve Smith called in. Kendall Gill called in as my guests. Um, I had a couple of co-hosts with me that day. QCB was doing his three with the QCB. We had the Weiner line, and it just felt natural right like you've all we've all worked in in situations where there's no chemistry and where there's great chemistry and when you got it you got it and we had it and i remember i got off the air tony the hitman the producer at that time called me and said hey we're gonna have you come in next week don't worry about it we don't need you anymore and i thought well that's not good (laughs) (laughs) i thought i did a great job right i thought i did a bang up job i heard enough and so he said don't worry about it we'll be in touch and i didn't really hear much all weekend and then sunday DJ, I think, called me and said, hey, can you come into the office tomorrow? And I said, well, I have to see who my boss is, but I, don't, I think it'll be okay. And so I got the okay. I came in. It's 9 o'clock in the morning and sat in his office, and within five minutes he had offered me a three-year contract. And within 10 minutes of that we were in the corner office of Bill Shaning, and we were you know, talking about it some more, and the rest is history, as they say. So – it just happened. I mean, I, I asked for an opportunity. It was granted to me. I did a good job, clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I got, at that time, I thought that was my dream, getting to do right. afternoon talk in the city I grew up in, talking Hornets and Panthers. And then through that relationship, the Hornets games were on FNZ, and they still are. And one of their uh, – my now boss, Mike Cristaldi, reached out to me and said, hey, I'm a big fan of yours. Would you be interested in doing more on our broadcast? I said, well, yeah, let's do it. And so he wanted me to do in-game updates from the from courtside during the game. And I did that for the last three seasons. And that, you know, led me to this opportunity, which was how would I ever know that Steve was going to retire? And he did. Sure. And, you know, am I the most qualified play-by-play guy in the NBA? Of course not. But I'm the youngest. And I think the reason they took a chance on me is because I love this city. I love this team. I know this city. I know this team. They know I'm going to work really hard. They're familiar with me. And I can do a variety of things. I'm, I'm really, you know, people say I'm the voice of the Hornets, and I, I, I still haven't gotten used to that. I don't know if I ever will. But I want to be the voice. in your mind, it's always it's Steve Martin. It is Steve. Yeah. You know, like the voice of the Lakers will always be Chick Hearn, right. not John Ireland. Right. And John does a great right. job. And Vince Scully, Lakers. Yes. I mean, yeah. But I think the, the thing with the voice of the Hornets is I'll be the voice of the Hornets for the new era, which is it's not just play-by-play. Right. I'll be a voice in a way that – You'll see me on Hornets.com. Right. Well, when you're doing the, the courtside podcast. Podcast, yeah. right? All these other things that I can be an outlet where if you're a Hornets fan, you want to come and say, man, I want to hear what Kroger has yeah. to say. Like, I know he's plugged in. Right. I know he cares. I know what yeah. he's. I know, I want to know what he's thinking. Well, I'm not sure we got this idea, Dave, but uh, Chris is on the road now, obviously traveling, and he, he will take pictures of like food at restaurants that Tell he goes to. Tell me more about yeah. it. Yeah. I, I, I don't <laughs> get it. That's my, that's my wheelhouse. <laughs> I've thought about, you know, chronicling my uh, – my my road trips this year was like eating a burger in every city. Oh yeah, I like that. Yeah. But it's, it's not the healthiest thing. Right. But I feel like health. Yeah. Yeah, who needs it, right? 
And I feel well, like- hold on a minute. This, this is from the guy who, who runs like marathons every day. <laughs> well, this is why I run, so I can eat like whatever I want to. So I feel like if you go to any city in this country, every place has got a burger spot, right? For yeah. sure. For sure. And so I feel like it's a good thing right. to consistently let me find the best burger right. in, in the in the country and see see how they So you. in your like 20 in this job, what are you going to be eating then? You're going to have gone through Well, no, 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 cuz at some point he's going to have to sample like local honey and see who has the best yeah. honey. Yeah, we'll have to move on from one thing to the next. <laughs> Wings, who's got the best blue cheese? Yeah, a blue ranch. Are you a ranch guy? <laughs> oh, well, I do no. both, but I Let's go. come on now. <laughs> Dave, what are you? No, blue cheese is Thank the you. only thing that goes on wings. In Buffalo, they don't give you an option, Thank and you. they're called Buffalo Wings. Good, good, good man, right here. <laughs> we'll we'll convert him one day. I think. no, I, I do now and then enjoy blue. I'm more of a ranch guy. Okay, I'm Awful. Team Ranch. That's hashtag, embarrassing. Hashtag team ranch. That's, that's, the, embarrassing. that's the devil's dressing, is what that is. <laughs> All right, so the Hornets over under is thirty six and a half. You okay. going over or under? Uh, I'll take the over. I think you know what gets you in the playoffs in the East. I don't know. I think somewhere between. Yeah, you know, some people are saying like 37, 38 wins. Yeah, I think it might be a little higher than that. But I think you get to 40. I think if you get to 40 wins, you've given yourself a chance. Yeah. What has to happen to get to 40 wins? I think you got to get off to a hot start. So I, this is the one thing I looked at when the schedule came out. And everybody's schedule's tough in different, different ways. Um, but we play, of our final 21 games, 17 of those are against playoff teams a year ago. And of those 17... Uh, one of those that's not in there is the Lakers, and I would think they'll probably be a playoff team with LeBron James there. So that tells you who we play. Mm-hmm. I believe 12 of those 21 are on the road during that stretch, too. So we got a tough stretch in March and April. Uh, we play four of our first five on the road after our opener at home on Wednesday night. So I think that's going to go a long way to determining you know, what we're going to do this year. But I'll say this. People say preseason play doesn't matter. Uh, I was looking this up for my 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 chart uh, for for the game on Wednesday night. I went back to last year. It's a small sample size. It's one off. Last year we went four and one in the preseason. Every team that went three and one or mm-hmm. better in the NBA preseason schedule last year, I believe there were seven of those teams. They all made the playoffs, mm. and most of them were really really good yeah. teams. So does it guarantee us we're going to be a playoff team? No, but I think there's something to the way we're buying into James Borrego's system, yep. the style of play, the consistency there. And when you go four and one in the preseason, you get some momentum going into the regular season. That might be the biggest indicator, right? You've got momentum going into the opener, and I think that can carry us. And I actually like going on the road early. I think there's a bunker mentality. I think it forces the team to kind of come yeah, together, galvanize. Going, yeah. So I, I like the over. I think we could get to forty wins. Who's the player that we're not talking about now? But if the Hornets have the season you just talked about, we'll be talking a lot about. I think Jeremy Lamb has got that potential. You know, he's increased his scoring total each of the last four years. He he led the East in scoring off the bench a year ago. He's going to start for us now. And he said the other day after practice, if you had told me six years ago when I came into this league, I'd be a starter. He said, I, I just I wouldn't have believed it. And yeah. he's got all the talent in the world. What's crazy is you don't say this very often, but a seventh-year player has not reached his potential yet and is just scratching the surface. You watch him out there, I, I think he's one of the smoothest guys. I'm dead serious in the entire NBA running the floor. It's like his mm. feet don't even hit the, hit the, hit the, uh, the floorboards. Wow. He just kind of floats on air. He's got this long stride about him. He's got this long wingspan, and he shoots over the tops of guys. He makes difficult shots. He shot a career high from three last year, um, and he shot 43.5% from three above the break. So one of the more challenging threes you could take right at the break on the wing, he shot 43.5%. Yeah. We're actually trying to say, Jeremy, go to the corner, man. It's easier <laughs> there. It's shorter. You're closer to the rim. And if we can convince him to take more efficient shots, 
Um, and he's going to have the opportunity to assist more. He's going to have the ball in his hands more. Yeah. I could see Jeremy finishing with something to the extent of, you know, 15, 4, and 3 a night, something like that. And I think if you're getting that from your starting shooting guard to go along with Nick, who maybe Nick could get you 12, 5, and 5 a night, and Kemba getting you 20 to 22, 5 and 3 a night, and then you mix in Cody, who can get you, I think, on any given night, 12 and 10. And now you're starting to talk about balanced play, right? And yeah. I think that's where if you don't have elite level talent, that's how you got to win. And I think we can. I think we could do that. But I love Jeremy Lamb. I think he's due for a good year. Chris, thanks for joining us. We'll have to uh, get back and do it again. Maybe when people start paying attention to the NBA after the NFL season, it's ends. NBA day today. We got to tune in. Okay, we got two great games, and then we'll have the opener for us tomorrow night. Everybody's got to tune in. And you can listen to Chris on WFNZ, and you can check out all his stuff on Hornets.com. Mike, three and three through three weeks on my NFL picks, and this week I'm taking Cincinnati plus six at Kansas City. Obviously, Casey, one of the better yeah. teams in the league. The defense still looks horrible, and I think maybe they come down. Down off the high of playing New England on national TV last week, taking the Bengals plus the six. Wow, good call! And uh, what a night for Boston on Sunday night with uh, the Red Sox. Unbelievable, uh, almost pretty and, much and a must almost win. as good for uh, Milwaukee last night with the Packers winning and yeah. the Brewers winning. Yeah, but they didn't have anything like uh, the Gronk smash. I, uh, I don't know. Aaron Rodgers down the stretch he, last he's night. Pretty good. No, pretty, he's pretty, pretty darn good. good. He's pretty, pretty darn good. Uh, any uh, Panthers predictions, Chris? I know. Um, you're still kind of paying attention to what's going on in the world, although I know you're focused. There's on another Hornets. team in town. No, there is another team in town. I look. I have Panther season tickets, so you know I'm a big Panthers fan. I think this team has just got to find a way to battle through the end of the year. You get to ten wins. I think that gets you in the playoffs. I think if you beat the right yeah. teams, got to have the right head-to-head tiebreakers, which is why the Washington loss I think hurts a little bit. Same thing with the Philly game coming up. You got to beat that Philly team. They might both be wild card teams, but I feel like if they could just hone in on what they want their offensive identity to be. I think they're probing a little bit. Yeah. I like what I've seen in spots. Right. Yeah. I don't think they've settled in. Once they settle in, if they can, I think they'd be a team you wouldn't want to play in January. All right, we'll give you the last word. Chris Kroger, thanks for joining us. Check us out at Bearded Carcast, and you can email the show, beardedcarcast at outlook.com. Don't forget to listen to Chris Kroger on WFNZ all season long and hornets.com.